Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. I'm Molly Nelson, the host of the podcast, and I'm here with Lauren Merkel. He's a certified financial planner, a certified financial fiduciary, and a retirement income certified professional. Lauren, I was thinking about this podcast, and I can't decide. I've got a couple of working titles here. Clearing the air on IRAs, understanding IRA rules, or decoding IRS mixed signals. <laughs> Which one do you think works best? Well, all of them are very good, except for the clarifying, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity out there. And really, since the SECURE Act was passed uh, January 1st of 2020, or was enacted, uh, there's been a lot of uh, questions that we have received around what they're supposed to do with the IRA. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, part, part of our goal today is to put clarity around ambiguity. Uh, and I'm not sure how successful we're going to be because there's still a lot of questions out there that need to be answered. And I think we're going to be successful at helping people think about the kinds of things that they need to answer as they're thinking about the IRAs that they either maybe are setting up for themselves or have set up for themselves or they're going to inherit. So that's what we want to do today. We want to talk about some of the new IRS regulations. We want to talk about some of the Secure Act things that were passed uh, and enacted in 2020. And we want to talk about IRAs because we know, Lauren, you, you've helped families and individuals retire now for over 20 years. You know that an IRA is a very, very common uh, way that people save for retirement. Yeah, there's about $30 trillion across this country that is saved for retirement. The vast majority of that is within 401k plans and IRAs. And we do know that most people, once they leave their employer or certainly retire, will roll their 401k plan to their IRA, which means there's going to be even more flows over the next five to 10 years within IRAs. We also have a, a an aging demographic where there is going to be one of the the world's biggest transfers of wealth over the next two decades where trillions of dollars are going to flow from the baby boomer demographic and the baby boomers parents to the next generation and a lot of that money is going to end up in an inherited IRA and that's why there's so many questions around how do we handle inherited IRAs and that's why there's people in this industry that focus almost entirely around IRAs because there's so many rules it's so confusing and the rules seem to be changing every couple of years. And you mentioned all the people retiring. We, we've dubbed it here a retirement revolution between the coronavirus and the baby boomer demographic. We know that more people are retiring than ever with more wealth than they've ever had before. There's a lot to talk about on this retirement revolution, and we did so on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search Merkel Retirement Planning, and look for retirement revolution. So I imagine this IRA conversation like this, Lauren. So I cycle. And a lot of times when we're cycling, the, the instructor yells out, it's time for hills. So we start at about, you know, 75 revolutions, RPMs, revolutions per minute. And then we work our way down to 60. And then that's when you really get in the mud and you're going slow. But when we first get going, it's kind of easy. So that's kind of how I imagine we're climbing a hill on this IRA conversation. Because I think it's good to start at the low level. Talk about what an IRA is for us first, and then we'll go to what's an inherited IRA so people understand the difference. Yeah, that sounds really good. Let's start the IRA cycling conversation, and we'll uh, we'll unfold all of the nuances of IRAs and inherited IRAs together as we're cycling up this hill. How's and that? it gets muddy at the end. That's what our instructor well, says. You're going through the mud now. So we'll, yeah. we'll go through the mud for those people that are like, yep, I want to get down into the nitty gritty, but we'll also start at the bottom of the hill so we all understand kind of the base. Yeah, and trust me, we're not going to have to announce 
spots when we get into the mud, it's going to be very clear. That that part will be very clear, clear when as it mud. gets a little bit muddy, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I guess first let's talk about the IRAs. Uh, the IRA is an individual retirement account, so there is going to be one owner, which means if you're married, it will be underneath one of your names. It's not going to be underneath both of your names, but there will be a beneficiary, and primarily most married couples will have the non-owner spouse as the beneficiary, 100% primary beneficiary, which means when the owner of the IRA passes away, 100% of that money goes to the the uh, primary beneficiary. And then there'll also be some contingent beneficiaries in case the primary beneficiary is not alive. Then there's a secondary place where this money goes. And for most married couples with kids, that's going to be their kids. But with these beneficiaries, you can designate anybody you want to. So there is no limit around the number of beneficiaries that you have or whom your beneficiary uh, or who you decide you want to list as your beneficiary. And we should talk about the IRA too. Again, this isn't the investment part of it. This is just the IRS, which we're going to talk about the IRS today. So let's get them right in the conversation here at the bottom of the hill. They want to classify your money or give your, your money kind of designation. So the IRA is just one umbrella. Inside an IRA, Lauren, you can have all kinds of different investments. The IRA is a tax shelter is what it is. And there's two main types of IRAs. There's additional IRAs like a, a SEP IRA or other self-employed types of IRAs. But ma- primarily today, we're talking about the traditional IRA and we're talking about the Roth IRA. And you're right, the traditional or the Roth is not an investment. It is a tax shelter. The traditional IRA uh, is usually a pre-tax IRA, which means you're not paying taxes on the contributions going into it. The money will grow tax deferred. And when you take the money out, hopefully after 59 and a half, when it's a qualified distribution, uh, you're going to be taxed at the federal, at your federal income level at your tax bracket. With the Roth IRA, the money has already been taxed when you put it into it, and then it will grow tax-free. So once you put the money underneath the Roth, you will never have to pay taxes on the qualified distributions from that Roth IRA, which means that if it grows over the next, if you put 10,000 in, it grows over the next 20 to 30 years, and now it's $100,000, you take that full 100,000 out tax-free. Those are the two main types of IRAs. And underneath both of those, you can literally invest in just about anything you want to, as you mentioned, Molly. So if you want CDs or if you want mutual funds or stocks or bonds, underneath each one of those IRA types, you can have any of that, those types of investments that you want to. And it's the performance of those investments that will dictate how much money you earn underneath those accounts. The IRAs themselves, again, are the tax shelter. And then you choose the investments as the engine of that vehicle underneath of it. And what we're going to move into is inherited IRAs. And if you're saving for retirement, you're you're thinking individual. This is my retirement. But Lauren, what you find is a lot of times people save in these IRAs. They amass an amount of wealth that they don't need. And then they're thinking about passing that IRA on. Yeah, it's, uh, they, they do amass most of their retirement wealth underneath the IRAs. And so uh, unintentionally, they don't need that money, meaning they pass away prematurely or they pass away even as expected, but they have money underneath these IRAs that ultimately end up going to their beneficiaries. And let's, let's, take, this, uh, let's take this kind of in order. Let's talk about the traditional IRA, and then we'll talk about the Roth IRA because there are separate rules for both of those. Let's also start with the pre-secure act rules, because this is going to help us add a little bit of clarity. Not all of the pre-SECURE Act rules changed when the SECURE Act was enacted January 1st of 2020. Okay, I'm going to turn the tension up just a little bit on the cycle then, because this feels a little muddy, but I know, I know it's going to be super clear 
we're we're gonna make this as as clean as possible. How's that? <laughs> okay, That's I'm ready. I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen. Okay. So pre-secure act uh, traditional IRA, uh, and let let's use let's use a hypothetical couple. Okay. So we have Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Uh, Mr. Jones has the IRA. Mr. Jones passes pa- passes away. Uh, Mrs. Jones was a hundred percent primary beneficiary. Now, as a spouse, she can do one of two things. She, well, one of three things. She can cash it all out, but she doesn't want to because she's going to lose that tax shelter on the traditional IRA. If she cashes it all out, then she's going to be taxed on a hundred percent of that distribution at her ordinary income level. Not the best decision for most people in Mrs. Jones' situation. So, really, she has two primary options. One is she can assume ownership of that IRA which means now it's her IRA. Just like her the other IRAs that she has, this is her IRA. She can invest it however she wants to. She will be mandated to take distributions based on her age, uh, not her, not Mr. Jones's age, uh, and, it's her, and it's her IRA, just like any of the other IRAs. The other option she has is she can put it in an inherited IRA. So it's still Mr. Jones's IRA, but it's hers as an inherited IRA, which means the IRS is still going to take distributions, required distributions, based on Mr. Jones's age, not Mrs. Jones. So technically, it's Mrs. Jones's account still, but Mr. Jones's name and date of birth are still tied to it to make sure that she is taking distributions based on his age, not her age. If she makes it become her IRA, is there some penalty there? or Because to me, that seems like, oh, I just make it my IRA, and then I have you know, more control or something, but no. There, there is not a penalty, but there is strategy. So let's, um, obviously she has those two options. So in what case would she prefer making it her IRA versus uh, making it an inherited IRA? And it has to do with uh, mostly her age versus Mr. Jones's age. So let's say Mr. Jones was 75. He's been taking required minimum distributions for a number of years. Mrs. Jones at time of Mr. Jones's death was only 69. So Mrs. Jones doesn't want to take distributions from Mr. Jones's IRA, and the only way to avoid taking required distributions is if she moves that IRA into her name because she is under the required minimum distribution age. It's her account now based on her birth date, not Mr. Jones's birth date, and that is a way that she can save herself from having to take those required distributions and incurring the tax that's associated with them. So that would be one reason why she would want to make it hers. What's one reason why she may not want to make it hers? That would be, let's reverse the ages. So Mrs. Jones is 75. Mr. Jones was 69. If she, Mr. Jones still passes away, and if she makes it her IRA, now she's over the required minimum distribution age, she will be mandated to take distributions. So in that scenario, she might be tempted to leave it underneath Mr. Jones's name, Uh, and make it an inherited IRA so the distributions will be based on uh, Mr. Jones's uh, birth date as opposed to to her. So what about a non-spouse inheriting an IRA? What are the rules around that? And this is typically what we're running into right now because there's a lot of uh, our family's uh, parents who are passing away and they're leaving their IRAs to them. And now they're sitting here trying to figure out in the midst of all of this legislative change, what the heck are they going to do or what do they have to do? What are their options with this IRA money that they receive? So that's what we're going to talk about here. So you're a non-spouse, meaning uh, your parent or somebody else passed away. Uh, You are not in the EDB group, the eligible 
designated beneficiary uh, and its post-secure act. So now your options are is you take this money out as an inherited or you move the money to an inherited IRA. And what we understood in 2020 and 2021 from the SECURE Act is that you had then 10 years to take this money out, meaning there was no required minimum distribution year one, year two, year three. You had up to 10 years to have that final balance down to zero. If you didn't have that final balance down to zero, then this, the 50% penalty still applied where you were assessed 50% of what you were supposed to take out. So in this case, the entire balance, and then you had to pay taxes on that as well as the liquidating the balance. Uh, but you had t- up to 10 years to take that money out as a, as a non-spouse beneficiary. All right. That seemed pretty clear to me, but here's the part. I know that you're watching what the IRS is saying. Uh, Ed Slot, who's a guy, when people talk about IRAs, people listen. So I read something on his website that said the IRS is sending mixed signals about, about all of this. So what are the mixed signals? What should people uh, be watching for? This is just recently this year, 2022, where the IRS sent out some, what they, what they say is clarification. They sent out <laughs> some clarification on what they really meant as a part of the secure act, as far as what non-spousal beneficiaries had to take out and when they had to start taking it out. So what I just said is, is non-spousal beneficiaries, you didn't have to start taking your distribution until year 10. And you just had to had that, you just had to have that account liquidated. Well, the IRS is stepping in now, 2022 and saying, whoops, actually what we meant is that you had to start taking your distributions in year one, and you had to take another one year two in year three, and you had to take it all the way up through year 10. And in the final 10th year, you had to have 100% of that account still liquidated. So they still capped it off at 10 years, but they said year one, you have to start taking out distributions, which is substantially different than we interpreted it the rule post 2020. And I have a lot of thoughts about this. A, the IRS do not seem like gray area people. They seem like black and white people. Molly, you owe this much money. Or if, if I'm lucky, Molly, you get a little bit back. If you've ever received a letter from the IRS saying you owe money, there is no yes. gray. No gray it's area. It's all black and white. You pay this money or you can call or this happens. Okay, so put your IRS hat on here, Lauren, which I know is a little difficult for you to do, but why change the rules? Why start requiring people to start taking the money out in year one? Because either way, the IRS was going to get this money that had not been taxed. I understand that we do have to pay taxes on money. Is it so they start getting these uh, the tax money earlier? What's the thoughts? It's all about the Benjamins. It's all, it's all, it's all about the money. So that's I your mean, IRS hat there, the Benjamin hat. Yeah, right. got it. And the, really, that's why this part of the SECURE Act was initiated is because before you could stretch these distributions out over the course of your lifetime, the IRS revenue was then being dispersed over the course of people's lifetime. And what they did is they condensed that distribution period. And that, for many people, increases the tax bracket that they're in, increases the tax revenue from the IRS. IRS, not only in those years of distribution, but also over that distribution period. Uh, so what, but what they, what they realized is that in many cases, people weren't taking distributions and they're saying, now we want more consistent revenue from these trillions of dollars of retirement money that's never been taxed before. So they're saying year one is when we, we have to start taking distributions. So the questions that we're receiving, and this hasn't been mainstream news yet, right? So there's not a lot of IRA owners out there saying, hey, I saw this thing from Ed Slot or Newswire or wherever it is. It's not made headline news as far as what I've seen. Uh, but some of the questions that we've received is, well, I didn't take a distribution in 2021. 
am I supposed to now? And what happens if I don't? And this is where the gray area creeps back in because there is no guidance on that yet. So for the answer, the answer that I give people of that is you didn't take it in 2021 based on the new guidance, you probably should have. That's the way we're interpreting the new guidance. Um, they will, they are taking questions and they're taking comments all throughout the rest of this year, the IRS. So the IRS is taking comments. Oh, just give them a call then, right? <laughs> just Super give, simple. Give Get right to call. the IRS. Um, and they, I would hope that they're going to offer more clarification on what happens if you didn't take it in 2021. There's, there's a possibility they're going to say, if you didn't take it in 2021, that's okay. Uh, and there's really three options in my mind. They're going to say, well, you should have taken it in 2021 and you didn't. So we're going to penalize you. That's option one. I think it's doubtful that they're going to go with that. That would have people calling with some negative remarks for the IRS on that that's, feedback. That's called negative comments. <laughs> yes. uh, the other option is they could say, uh, you, it was unclear. Uh, you didn't take it in 2021. You have a pass. So you're not going to have to take it in 2021. Just make sure you start taking your distributions in 2022. You're going to be okay. Uh, probably the more likely is you didn't take it in 2021, but you need to take it in 2021. And we're not going to assess you the 50% penalty that we otherwise would have because you missed your deadline as long as you meet this new deadline. That's my guess on what they're going to do. So if you're in that category, you didn't take your distribution in 2021, I wouldn't rush to the table to start taking that distribution. We have all the way up, in my mind, up until the end of this year, uh, and we'll wait for more clarity, more guidance from the IRS, and then we can react from there. You might have a specific question about your situation with an IRA or any part of retirement planning. Go to MerkleRetire.com, M-E-R-K-L-E, Retire.com. You can schedule a 15-minute complimentary retirement checkup call today. This is an opportunity to talk directly to a retirement planner about your situation and get some clarity from a retirement planner about your retirement vision. Okay, so back to IRAs. The age of the IRA owner who's passing on the IRA is also an important factor when we're talking about all of this. Well, it most definitely is. And what we've been talking about really for the last five, 10 minutes, as far as the new 2022 clarifications of the non-spousal IRA distributions is applicable for one group and not applicable for another group. Of course, of course. Again, this, uh, this there is more gray area than I've ever understood with all of this. Yeah, there's a lot of if-thens and we're trying to make this as clear as possible. Let's clarify which groups it's applicable and what's which it's not so what we were just talking about is if with the new clarity in the secure act uh people have to start taking distributions year one as opposed to waiting all the way up to year 10 the whole account still has to be out within year 10 it's just they have to start taking distributions in year one the group that has to start doing that is the group who receives their ira from the ira owner who's already taking their required distributions if the IRA owner is not required to take distributions, then the beneficiary of the IRA still has up to year 10 to take those distributions and does not have to start taking distributions year one. And that age generally is an RMD age, right? So for generally 72 and a half, for some people 70 and a half, depending on when they were born. Just, okay, more if and, and the ands. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's a small contingent of people who might pass away within uh, age 71 who may not have started taking distributions, may have been taking distributions, depending upon when you actually inherited this account. 
But anybody who passes away now, so if somebody passes away this year or somebody passes uh, passed away real recently th- and, and they were above the age 72, they're taking distributions. It, really, anybody who's above 72 t- uh, who passes away with IRAs has already been taking distributions. So that's a good way to identify. So if, if your Uncle Timmy passed away, he was 75 year, years old, he was taking RMD RMDs required distributions, which means now you have to start taking it out year one. All of it has to be liquidated by year 10, but you have to start year one. If your uncle Timmy was 65 and he passed away and you are the beneficiary, you still have to take all of your, your distributions. You have to have the account liquidated by year 10, but you are not required to start taking distributions year one or year two. You can, if you want to, you're just not required to. Okay. What about the Roth? You mentioned the Roth IRA. A lot of people take advantage of that. How does all this apply here? Yeah. So uh, the way that the Roth works is the SECURE Act changed it. So if you're uh, a non-spousal beneficiary or a non-eligible designated beneficiary, you still have to take distributions out within that 10-year period of time. Uh, And the if-then of when the IRA owner passes, so your Uncle Timmy, that goes away. So your Uncle Timmy can be 65, 45, 105. Uncle Timmy passes away, then you still have 10 years to take that distribution. You do not have to start your distributions year one. So it still has to be out, but you have more flexibility and you can wait all to all, all the way up until the 10th and final year. And I can tell you a lot of times, here's where some of the planning strategy comes into play from a tax standpoint, is a lot of times it does behoove you to wait to take your distribution from the IRS or from the Roth all the way up until that 10th and final year. Because if you were to take that distribution out year one or year two or year five, you took that money out from your most coveted retirement asset, which is your Roth IRA. Because any of the growth you receive on that Roth inherited Roth IRA is, is tax free. So a lot of people will choose, hey, let's take distributions from even your IRAs, your pre-tax IRAs, or maybe if you also inherited a pre-tax IRA, take some distributions from those, spread out the tax liability. Don't save it till that 10th and final year where you have one big lump sum taxable distribution. You can save the Roth IRA, take advantage of the tax-free compounding for the next 10 years, and then in that 10th and final year, take it all out. And it, it doesn't matter from a tax standpoint because the Roth IRA comes to you tax-free. So you're not going to have a big lump sum taxable distribution from the Roth. And you talked a lot about the planning portion of this. And there's, there's two pieces of the planning portion. One, if you're receiving an IRA, you help people make sense of all of this and, and, and say, hey, here I think is the best strategy for you. Let's talk about what this looks like if you start taking the distributions now versus year 10 so that they can make those decisions. And another piece of the planning process that you work with families on is if you have your own IRA, how to designate the beneficiaries, how to pass it along in a tax efficient way. Legacy planning is one of, one of the biggest mistakes we see in legacy planning is people fail to designate their beneficiaries the right way or even at all. And so this is one of the things we always work with our families on as a part of their plan. In fact, it's one of the six components of the retirement plan, what we, which we call your Merkle plan. It's one of the six components, and we have to get it right because it's, it's relatively easy. As, as muddy as this conversation has seemed, 
Uh, we know what we're doing. We've done it many times, and we walk our families through in a very simplistic way to make sure that they nail their legacy plan. And once once it's in place, there's little monitoring or changes that have to take place, except for when major landscape legislation like the Secure Act takes right. place. Uh, but then that's not incumbent upon our families to say, hey, uh, this law passed, so what do we do? We bring it up to them and say, here's the changes in the law. Here's how it impacts you. Here's how it doesn't impact you. Here's some of the changes we should consider. Here's some of the things that are rock solid and we don't need to need to change. So we drive all of that, but the legacy planning is something that we focus on. We focus on it early within the overall development of the plan to make sure we get it right because it's not that hard while you're alive. It's really hard when you're gone. And I feel like that's why we have all of these conversations, not because anybody listening should know all of the legislation. That's your job, Lauren, as a retirement planner. But you might have heard something today that fits your situation. Maybe your parents have recently passed and have an IRA. Maybe they're, you're talking about their legacy. Maybe you're talking about your own legacy. And we know that these are the conversations that you're having internally with yourself, uh, with the spouse, with your family members. And so the more that you know about your options, the more you can ask questions. And we can have some great conversations, Lauren, about legacy plans. We really do. I mean, through this conversation, Molly, today, we talked a little bit about Mr. and Mrs. Jones. We talked about your Uncle Timmy. Uh, but we didn't really talk about you. And that's why we offer that 15-minute complimentary checkup call. And this call is best suited for those who are within 10 years of retiring or already retired. And the reason for that is because that's those are the families that, that we work with. We are a specialty firm. And there's so many decisions and, and things that you have to think about in your pre-retirement to retirement phase you've never had to think about before. Uh, when you're 40 years old, you're thinking about paying off a house, maybe buying a house, raising kids, college, you're thinking about a lot of different things. But when you get on the doorsteps of retirement, now your mindset changes completely. And you have to start thinking about a whole lot of different things. You have to start making decisions. Many of those decisions are permanent. And that's where the retirement, the customized retirement plan really comes into play to offer you the confidence in these decisions to know that you're making the, the best decisions possible for you. So the complimentary 15-minute retirement checkup call is a ideal way for you to get ans answers to the questions that you have specifically about your situation and we can explore what it looks like to build your retirement plan that's merkelretire.com m-e-r-k-l-e retire.com there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to your retirement vision we'll continue talking about it on this podcast it's retiring today subscribe and tell a friend thanks for listening Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC. And maybe because, yeah... That gets a little sticky. That plan participant language is really confusing. Yeah. And I know you're trying to give me an example, but I was like, is that because you're the owner of the company? I was no. like, I was kind of confused no. by your example a little bit. No, I would have used you. I just didn't want to kill you off. <laughs> right. You're welcome to any time. No, no offense taken. <laughs>